everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Drive Home Call-In Show here on the Canadian Football Countdown, uh, a weekly show where that we record in our Discord community, where we uh, recap the week before, take your comments and questions as well. Uh, we're here today to talk about week number seven in the CFL. I'm Ryan Coop, joined on a very special first edition of this, not by my moderator for this episode, but uh, Mike, it's fitting on the week where we celebrate our nine-year podversary. Official uh, co- uh, co-host of the Drive Home Call-In Show with me. How you doing today, Mike? Good, good, good. You, uh, you sure know how to get a ball hockey team's attention with the Twitterversary post there, Ryan. Uh... That was pretty cool, I gotta admit. I completely forgot about it, and then I went to check Twitter, and I went to share, and they're like, you have a podcast? And that started a whole new story. But, uh, yeah, no, all things considered, I'm all, I'm all good. Awesome. Yeah, no, nine, nine years in, we're still uh, getting people interested. That's great. Um yeah, so we're you know we're, let's get right into it because I've got a limited time on the drive home. I'm on the drive home. Mike's in the command center uh, or mission control or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so if you're here, sending your comments and questions in the chat. I can't see them, but Mike can. Um, Mike, let's talk about our first game of the week from this past week. I believe it was Edmonton, Winnipeg, right? That is correct. Yep, from uh, right here at IG Field. Well, that. How did you feel? But here in Winnipeg, for sure. Yeah, uh, Thursday night matchup. Elks coming into Winnipeg. Heavy underdogs coming in. I think the line was 14 and a half points at the time. And uh, early on, I think Bomber fans were probably a little bit nervous. Bit of sloppy play. A couple turnovers early in the game. And kind of had you start thinking, uh, was this trap game round two in a row? Yeah, the one thing Ryan Vitenna jumped out at me, and I had the privilege of watching this game after one after one of our games, and then listening to a bunch of podcasts after. I mean, I can't remember the last time Dakota Prokop got stopped on uh, third down and yard and a half, two yards, uh, twice in a season. Never mind in a game. Uh, talked about a nervy start, but uh, no, it, it's it's one of those things where. You know, if a veteran team, Ryan, gives you an opportunity, you must take advantage. And uh, Edmonton didn't. And to the Bombers, sort of nervousness of their fans were able to get it kind of going again in the fourth quarter. And, you know, what what I would like to know how many of Brady Oliveira's lead, leading rushing yards have come in the fourth quarter. Because it seems like he's got something like 30 through three quarters. And then the next thing you know, he's got over 100 because he's got 50 to 60, maybe 70, and a big touchdown in the fourth quarter. But you know what? That's not the worst way to go about it either, is if you if you have a lead, just use your running game to run the plot down. Well, and that's it, right? Like, uh, I've been saying the same thing every week. You look at the stats and you'll think, oh, Brady Oliveira had a, a fantastic football game. And the answer is, well, no, not really. He had a fantastic fourth quarter and did not very much the rest of the night. Uh, but he gets it done when they need him to the most, right? And that was my biggest takeaway from this game for the Bombers is 
We see it time and time again with this team. They'll have a quarter in there normally in the first half where they play some sloppy football. It's looking a little bit dicey. They get the lead going into the fourth quarter, and then this was just textbook Bombers fourth quarter football. Shut down defense, run the ball over and over and over again. Even when the other team knows it's coming, seems like Olivera's got his fresh legs at that point and uh, can run all over them. So, uh, yeah, pretty much textbook performance here from the Bombers in the fourth quarter. I have uh, I have no complaints about that. Obviously, I have complaints about the way the game started for them, though. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that portion right in the middle there, I forget what order happened. There were the two long touchdowns, right? There was the Dylan Mitchell long touchdown. And then who for the Bombers had the long one after that? I can't remember. And Dembski, 70 yards. Uh, he made it. Uh, it was, I had a two-point game at that time. Uh, and then he adds on. Uh, that was after the Dylan Mitchell touchdown. I think I got the order the right way around. Um, yeah, I order either. Yeah, because Edmonton got it to two points, and then that's where the Bombers kind of said they they were going to take control um, as well. Just a couple of quick comments. Uh, first one here from uh, Adam, which is, how dare you forget your anniversary, Mike? Um, <laughs> sorry, I, I have a really bad habit of remembering these things. Uh, Trey also says, I feel like this year defenses have been stopping the third and shorts often. Fair comment, I think. We we have another game where that kind of became an emphasis. Um, and Adam has an interesting comment. He said, and this, and this, that's why I don't think much of Oliveira. Prove me wrong for four quarters, not one. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that, and I think I've said this on a previous I don't know if it was one of these or one of our regular shows, but you see in the NFL teams kind of employ that, uh, you know, they, they run him back by committee in a way where, but where you normally have your starter and then you've got the, the guy that might be your third down back or maybe he comes in later in the game. And maybe yeah. that's something the Bombers should consider doing with Oliveira in the future. Have a guy like Greg McRae, you know, run for three quarters and then Brady with completely fresh legs in the fourth. Uh, I yeah. think it's a dynamic we haven't seen in the CFL, but would be an interesting one to see. To just a quick question, Ryan, off of this, and then we'll move to Edmonton quickly. Do you feel like the Bombers' offense is lacking creativity this year? I think so. Uh, I mean, when McCray first came into the lineup, they had, they started using him in a bunch of different ways, and I thought that was a good dynamic, but. I don't know, like the offense has found the ability at times to put points on the board this year, but uh, at the same time, uh, a lot of times, I don't know, it just feels flat to me. And maybe and maybe it's who they're facing sometimes. I mean, you go to that game against Ottawa where all the excitement was around Dustin Crum, and we'll get to another edition of that, I'm sure, here uh, today. But uh, maybe it's just that, you know, this offense has been so steady for the past couple of years that it's, it's almost boring steady at this point. Like, they'll get the job done. They'll get the touchdowns they need to do it, and then they'll just run the clock out the fourth quarter. Fair enough. It just seems to me like we're not seeing that razzle-dazzle. You know, that kind of... That's. I mean, we're seeing some of the sweeps, but kind of like, you know, that throughout snap, that play that kind of catches everybody off guard. You know, keeping the Dakota Pro drop in for a couple extra plays to kind of change it up. I, I don't know, it's just just an observation for me. 
Uh, really quickly, Ryan, what did you think of uh, Edmonton and what the Elks had to bring? I mean, it's the same thing over and over for the Elks. Promising first half, potentially. You think maybe this is going to be the week for them, and then something happens in the third and fourth quarter where they fall apart. And that was the case again here where they get momentum back. Dylan Mitchell finally looks like the Dylan Mitchell we expect him to be all season with his long touchdown there. And then immediately after that, uh, again, assuming I get the order right uh, of the touchdowns, maybe it was the other way around, but either way, the end result is the same that uh, the outs just couldn't get it done. You know, it's like wind out of the sails for this team that uh, has seemingly had nothing going for them. And, you know, they stuck with Taylor Cornelius again. I didn't think he, he looked super fantastic in this game. Obviously, he had the nice strike there on the long touchdown, but... Um, you know, the Elks, it's another straight loss here. Now they have to play BC this week, who has just beaten the pants off of them every time they've played recently. And then they got a bye week, and then they play the Bombers after that again. So kind of when does this end for Edmonton? And I guess my question to you, Mike, is, uh, you know, if it go, if it goes bad against BC yet again this week, uh, and another loss for the team. By week coming up, do you see any big changes coming for the Elks during that time? I think it's far be it's gone far beyond uh, changes for me. I mean, I know you know they did release French this week to the surprise of a whole bunch of people, uh, myself included. Although it sounded it sounds like people out in Edmonton have suggested that him and Chris Jones didn't you know, necessarily did a lot very well. My question is, how long of a leash do you honestly give Taylor Cornelius? If you pull him, he, the other backup, whoever it might be, finishes the game. Then he comes right back in and gets to start again, and it seems to be the same old story. Like, he's throwing behind receivers, over receivers' heads. He's had a couple guys wide open, and it's just, just missing them. It, it's befuddling to me that, you know, they can't make a straight decision um, at the most important position on the field. Um, like, I, I know I'm going to sound like I'm repeating myself, but I, I really feel that it's time to try Trey Ford at quarterback. I, I know there's a reluctance of Chris Jones for whatever reason to do that. He said, Somebody the effect that maybe play better in your good game opportunities. But you know, Ryan, you mentioned the schedule. Like there there comes a point in the not too distant future where it's not even about this season for the outs. It's about trying to find who you can keep and who is part of this solution long term. And unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, whichever way you want to look at it, adversity teaches you a lot about people and who you can maybe move on on with. But in a quick cautionary note, the season is quickly slipping away from me out if they don't get control of us in a real hurry. Yeah, and that that's a big, big problem for them. And it's sad if it gets to that point because wasn't last year the year where we were, uh, you know, getting the building blocks for the future, uh, right? Like we had Taylor Cornelius with some promise. We had Kevin Brown. We had Dylan Mitchell. 
uh, over at Edmonton that were supposed to be the building blocks for a successful year this year, along with all the new free agent acquisitions. And it's kind of just all falling apart for them. I'll say this, their defense, I don't think is that bad. Like their defense did a good job here against Bombers for the most part. I think they did a good job in those couple games against Saskatchewan, even, you know, BC, they held to 22 points earlier in the season. They can just get the offense together. You know, this team will be able to, if they can get out of their own heads, win some football games. But the biggest problem, it's, it's grown to a point now where all of the talk you know, about the home losing streak and the losing streak in general. Now, like it, it gets to your head. It has to be able to get start getting to your head and creeping in and forcing some of those mental errors sometimes. And we've seen games like, you know, the one they lost by the Rouge. All it takes is one mental error and there's a loss. So it seems like it's constantly built up here for the Elks and it's just not gonna, it's not getting any better. It, it, it's just interesting because like you have to look at even the coach's track record when it comes to quarterback. I, I know I've mentioned this in the past. His one great happy one was on the back of Michael Riley, who was in his prime. He had good teams, but maybe Karachi didn't even have good teams. He had good defenses, which kept his teams respectable. It, it's just interesting how... Chris Jones has not been able to find that quarterback, but he seems to be comfortable with. And this is like a prototypical defensive-heavy quarterback that thinks he can win games on the back of his defense sometimes. It's just, it's very, very confusing to me. And, like, Chris Jones, you need, you need a quarterback. It's just like, I don't know how somebody that's been in the CFL as long is Chris Jones has, hasn't been able to figure out that offensive side of the game. Because if you look at Coach Jones, struggling offenses, are this isn't new under this coach, and in particular, this coaching staff. So do I have faith that it's going to change? Honestly, no. And at this point, I would expect a wholesale change at the end of the season if, if this keeps up. I'll play. I'll play devil's advocate here uh, before before we move on to the next game yep. and say I don't think having you mentioned you know Chris Jones needs that that starting quarterback or that star quarterback. I don't think that turns things around because almost every team in the CFL is now in, on their backup quarterback and getting it done with their backup quarterbacks. So are the backups for these other teams that much better than any of the quarterbacks the Elks have tried, or is it some is it a combination of other things? The offensive line has been garbage. The play calling hasn't been great either. You know, they've made those mental errors on special teams, for example, and things like that. So every week, you know, we're going to keep talking about the quarterback carousel because, you know, when I, I'm, I'm tracking like the depth charts and where players are lining up for fantasy purposes every week, uh, the wide receivers, the running backs, et cetera, has been pretty consistent almost every week. The one spot on the offensive depth chart that's changed is there, it's a different ordering of the quarterbacks almost every single week for them. And they're trying to plug and play them to figure it out. But when you've tried almost every combination, like, I don't think any of these players, I don't think, to sum it up, I don't think it's just the quarterback that's the problem for the Elks. Uh, certainly it is a problem, but I don't think it is the only problem that is putting them at their current record. It's just interesting because you'd expect the quarterback to help the situation, and I don't believe that's happening. 
Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, I, I would agree right now for the Elks. So we'll see see how they do this week in their matchup with BC this upcoming week. Uh, but let's move on to our second game of the week here, sure. Mike. Remind me what that game was. Was that Toronto-Hamilton? It was. It's the battle of the TWW with Tim Hortons Field. Uh, we see the rookie quarterback making his first ever CFL start for Hamilton against probably what I would suggest to people right now is the MOP in uh, Chad Kelly. And for me, Ryan, this was close, but Kelly and company finding a way to pull away late. Yeah, I, you know, I did watch, I, I watched half, at least half, maybe most of this game, and I can't recall off the top of my head. I remember it pretty early on. The Argos were heavily in the lead, were they not? Like, it, it seemed like they were at least cruising there early on in this one. Then Hamilton kind of got back into it at some point, and then the Argos sealed the deal at the end. But I know yeah. early there was uh, the Argos got a touchdown, then they got a turnover, and then they were, you know, driving again. And it was kind of like, this is going to be a long night for the Cats here. Early on in this game, it sure seemed. And the Argos just keep finding a way on offense, put the pedal to the metal, and it seems like nobody can stop them right now. Yeah, it was the one play they had a chance to pull within a touchdown. I think it was early in the fourth quarter. And then uh, the former bomber kicker, Elidio, misses the point after. And an opportunity to get that to a one-score game. And then, as you said, Kelly and the Argos take the ball down the field for that. Touchdown, but puts them over 30 points again. Um, listen, I have been critical of the Ardos. I have been a non-believer in the Ardos. They quickly turned that around on me, and this is the team to beat uh, in the Canadian Football League. And credit is where credit is due. I mean, Chad Kelly for me right now is the MOP. Um, I don't even know who would be a close second to that. Um, I would say close second currently, if not first, would be Matthew Betts on the defensive line for BC. But oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I, I could, I could work with that one for sure. Uh, and then the other interesting thing is, how much of this maybe was not unforeseen, if you know what I mean? Like, could the artists are so well built. Uh, I don't think that they were given enough credit for the way that they were built in the second half of last year, uh, you know, and then they win that great cup against the Bombers. And and now they seem to not take a step back with Patois Bethel-Thompson now with, uh, with uh, Chad Kelly kind of taking things over. Are we giving enough credit to the way Mike Pinball Thomas has assembled this team? No, I don't think people are, right? Because all of the talk is on the flashiness of this new starter in Kelly at quarterback. It's Nathan Rourke factor from last season, right? It's, and everybody migrates to the quarterbacks naturally when talking about a team's success. Um, but I think it's success all around the football field. I think the defense has been making the big plays they need to. And, you know, the Argos have been finding, like, they, they've been you know, pretty handily beating their opponents this season, despite some potential inefficiencies like the defense giving up the most passing yards in the league or, you know, some some penalty problems. Uh, I, I heard this stat during the game, and I don't know who they were talking about. Maybe uh, somebody has, can look up the stats and verify it for me if they're correct. 
Um, I know on the TSN broadcast, they were talking about one of these teams being the most undisciplined and taking the most penalties in the league. I originally, I thought I heard Toronto. Hamilton makes more sense to me based on what I've seen from the Ticats, but I'm not sure where the Argos are at uh, on the penalty problems there as well. But they they seem to be such a well-built team and well-coached team. I don't think Ryan Dinwiddie gets enough credit either that uh, for a team that, you know, maybe has some inefficiencies in those departments. Uh, is able to overcome them and still seemingly win games with ease. Sure, for sure. Just want to make it quite imagine that uh, I do notice a bunch of new people in here. Uh, if you have a question for Ryan or for myself, you can leave it in the comments. I will get to that uh, as soon as we are able to see it here. There's nothing in here right now, but just want to welcome uh, those of you that found us on the Discord channel. I, I see some new faces in here. Welcome to a one of our exclusives to the Discord community. Yeah, you get to catch the show live. You get to ask your questions uh, live with us. Uh, join us. On my drive home, Mike, I don't think you're driving home right now. You're, uh, I'm going to assume, at your desk or something. But uh, let's talk about, uh, so we talked about the Toronto side of things. What do you think of this side yep. of things for Hamilton uh, in this game? Because I don't think many of us gave them much of a chance coming in. I don't think any of us knew what to expect from Taylor Powell because we really hadn't seen very much at all from him. Uh, any thoughts on how Hamilton played here? Yeah, you know what? He got that one touchdown. Um, you know, and I, I was sitting in my hotel room uh, in Mississauga watching this, and the best part I thought was the reaction of his parents. I, I don't know if any of you happened to catch that. Um, they could not contain themselves. Um, I, I also believe, Ryan, and I don't know if you feel this way. I'm gonna, I just were about to find out. I feel like he didn't do anything to lose them the game. Like, we've seen most people in their first game, you know, tend to do it. Wasn't this four or five interception kind of game? Um, to me, Powell didn't really do anything to lose them the game, if that makes any sense. I just felt like Toronto's defense wasn't giving up very much, but still a pretty respectable start. Uh, for Powell in, you know, a very difficult scenario playing the number one team in the league. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think he had a respectable performance in this one, that big rushing touchdown. You know, it's funny. First, uh, Chad Kelly's the next Nathan Rourke, and now Dustin Crumb's the next Chad Kelly. And on that rushing touchdown, I, I think some people probably almost said Taylor Powell's the next Dustin Crumb. Uh, and here we go. And crazy, first of all, that we're at that point uh, seven weeks through the season here. But I thought he looked respectable. I mean, he didn't throw any touchdowns. He threw one interception, but uh, I think 283 yards, if I remember last time when I checked, uh, was his total on the game. Yeah, I, I think that's a decent performance. Um, surprised they didn't. Surprised, but not surprised because Tommy Condell that they didn't get James Butler more involved just to take a bit of the load off of Powell in there. Uh, but the thing that really jumped out to me here is Tim White. I, I feel like they're, you know, one of, he's one of the top receivers in the CFL, but there's been a couple games this year where he's just gone non-existent. He had four targets for zero catches in this game. 
I know there was another game a week or two ago where Duke Williams ended up with zero catches on there as well. Like yeah. these are the guys that you expect to lead the way for the Tie Cats here, uh, but they seemingly falling flat. And maybe it's just you know they're they're on their third QB of the season and try to build the chemistry with them there. Um, but we also did get a couple of big news items seemingly out of the Tie Cats this week, Mike, where. Bo Levi Mitchell is going to be pulled off the six-game injured list early to practice, it seems. I think he's missed four or five games so far. Uh, What do you think about Bo coming back uh, potentially this week or next week? Uh, Would would you go back to Bo or would you stick with Powell? Well, I mean, the season isn't over yet, so of course you're going to know what your number one. But but for me, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure what the rush is. Uh, I think you finally have an option. Actually, we made that two options. One, but just one on the sixth game. Uh, and then Powell, of course. To me, this seems a little bit rushed, uh, especially for the type of injury uh, that Bo is dealing with. It can be easily re-aggravated, um, speaking from experience. Um so it's really, really interesting. Um, maybe they're feeling the pressure now, but they're kind of sliding away, knowing that, you know, Ottawa's one, two in a row, and maybe a yard and a half away from three in a row, which nobody seems to really want to be talking about of late. Um, and Trey just kind of uh, asking a very interesting question. How much of it is Bo's ego rushing them back? Well, oh, and, uh, I'm sure that's playing into it there as well. Look, I know, like, Bo Levi Mitchell's the starter. He's going to start. I get it. Do I agree with it? No. Uh, I mean, I've made my my stance that Bo is washed up at this point uh, pretty clear uh, in my, you know, over the weeks on the podcast here. Um, and I think Taylor Powell, I'm excited. Like all of these young quarterbacks that we don't know anything about. I said this on the drive home show last week, uh, that with all the injuries we're seeing, I'm excited to see some new faces potentially become future stars. And I think Powell could be in that category. So they're going to go back to Bo. I get it. I don't have confidence that he's going to, you know, be able to rally this team, uh, necessarily. Uh, but, uh, Hopefully, at least Powell gets one more start this week because I want to see what he can do to follow up this last mm-hmm. performance. Other other question, other quick thought on this game because then we got to we really got to move on yeah. to the next one. Yeah, uh, really, really quickly, Ryan. There was some breaking news that came in this afternoon, and that is that Jadir Davis goes to Calgary from Hamilton for a late round pick. This has kind of sparked a question from uh, Jeff Yermanko. And he says, what do you guys think of Hamilton dumping Jadero Davis back to Calgary? Then he puts in kind of on the bottom here the comment, must have been more than a performance issue. Do you have any thoughts on Jadero Davis going to Calgary? Yeah, I think there's been talk. You know, I, I, I've heard talk amongst Ticats fans, supposedly that Davis hasn't been producing as much as you would have expected him to coming into this year. I, I expected big things for him and that defensive line in Hamilton. Uh, you know, interesting that he's going back to Calgary where he did spend, I would say, the bulk of his career with because I think he went to three straight. 
Now you went to a couple of great cups there with the Stampeders and then over to the Ticats and then the Argos, the Mac, the Ticats. Uh, really, you just have to follow, you know, who was in the great cup for the last six years because he has made the great cup in every single year of his career. Uh, six straight seasons of the great cup, uh, of great cup appearances for Jagarit Davis. So I, I, I doubt this played into it, but part of me likes to think that maybe, you know, the, the struggle start to the year for the tie cats, he's starting to look around at his options and say, how can I keep this streak going? Uh, and I honestly don't think that Calgary is necessarily the best team to go to for that. We'll touch on Calgary in a few minutes. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know what, uh, when you, when a guy's traded for a late round pick like that, you have to think there's maybe other underlying reasons we don't know of yet. Kind of like Jordan Williams getting traded to the Argos for uh first round pick out of nowhere and, and things like that. Uh, you know, trades don't happen that often in the CFL. And if there's not a decent return for it, you would think there's more reasons we just don't know yet. So I guess we'll wait and see on those, but, uh, Let's move on to our next game here, Mike, which was the BC Saskatchewan game. And uh, 19 to 9, the Lions pull out the win, uh, if I remember the score correctly here, but it comes at the cost. uh, And that cost is Vernon Adams Jr. leaving the game due to injury uh, and will not play this week. So Dane Evans will start this week against the Edmonton Elks. Uh, obviously another quarterback going down sucks. Uh, but I think BC was the team most prepared for that coming into this year by having Dane Evans as their backup. What did you think about, uh, his performance? It was okay, but to be honest, I kind of expected more. But I think I kind of got what we expected for a guy that hasn't really seen the field with this type of offense before. Um, 19 points, very, very kind of underwhelming given the circumstances. Um, honestly, right, I actually believe that if if uh, Trevor Harris is in this game for, for, for Saskatchewan, I, I honestly think we're talking about a BC loss here, um, but 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 BC defense was able to keep Mason fine in check and uh, put on a fine defensive performance. No pun intended. Uh, update the fine counter there. Uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, Evans looked good on the first drive, uh, and credit to Jordan Maxmix for his offensive game plan there. You know, struggled a little bit the rest of the way after that. I, I, There's a lot of hype on Sean Shivers at running back this week. I don't think he was too spectacular there. But uh, the Lions find a way to get the job done. And I have confidence in their offensive game plan that they're going to be fine, even with uh, if they have to go with Dane Evans for a week or the next couple of weeks here. Uh, just a time check here. We've probably got about 10 minutes left yep. to go. Uh, so we're going to start moving a little more quickly. I apologize, folks, for rushing through some of these last games, but we'll uh, we, we'll we'll try to balance that out a little bit better going forward. On the riders' side of things here, I mean, all the talk seems to be. I didn't catch very much of this game at all, but all the talk seems to be around the coaching decisions here for the riders. Uh, do you have a little more insight into that, Mike? Ah, uh, yeah, you know, Arthur, I didn't really see. Uh, much of this game, but all I all I was able to see uh, seemed to be a little bit of uh, 
discontent from Ryder fans with their coaching staff. Um, yeah, you can't listen. I realize that you have Mason Fine as your quarterback, but you can't. I personally can't help but think about the missed opportunity here. Um, you know, this wasn't 40 to 9, Ryan. This was 19 to 9. This was within a touchdown. Um, and poorly managed decisions may have cost the riders in this game, uh, unfortunately. And that might have been, you know, the defensive performance of the year from the riders. Um, you know, really trying to keep BC in check. But at the end of the day, they just they ran out of gas. And it's going to be very interesting, you know, what comes of this. And personally, I, I believe that there's something there with Mason Fine. I think patience is just going to be required. But for a general manager and a coach that are in the final year of their contracts, Hmm, not a pretty good situation for them. I see Adam's up here on stage. Uh, Adam went around about the riders for like 30 seconds before we move on to the next game. Sure, I've got a time, Devin. Uh, no, the riders, I mean, DeMarcus Christmas, the defense had a great game. But you look at what the riders were calling on the field. A second and seven, and you're going into a handoff to Jamal Morrow. Come on, that you, you got to know better than that. Jamal Morrow averaged a negative one yard per carry on 11 carries. That, that's not acceptable in Saskatchewan. Uh, and the thing was, to me, there was no anticipation of changing the game plan at all. Once they had the game set up, Kelly Jeffrey just ran with what he had, and that's not a way to get your quarterback in it. I mean, yes, he had 41 attempts, Mason Fine. He had lots of opportunity. But when you're pitching two, three-yard passes all game, it doesn't help you. So I, I can see why Saskatchewan fans are now fed up. Uh, even with a minute 37 left, uh, you, you're down by seven and you go for a uh, onside kick. When your defense has been playing lights out all game, you could have stopped them way deep and not given up this, uh, three points, giving you an opportunity to possibly come back. A very confusing play calling by, uh, by uh, Saskatchewan. And in overall, like I said, it was a game that they should have won. It sucks, but it is what it is. Just a quick follow-up, Adam. Do you think that playing Mason Fine affected the thought process of the play calling? No, what if, but I mean, you still got to adapt with your quarterback no matter who the quarterback is. Right? But again, they don't build offensive game plans for their quarterbacks. Isn't that basically what Cody Fajardo said? So, uh, you know, uh, yeah, very and, vanilla, and- vanilla offense this week that uh, – didn't get the job done. Uh, it was conservative, kind of played to lose almost, I, I felt like. Yep, exactly. All right, well, thanks for the call, Adam. Uh, appreciate you chiming in here on the Riders. Uh, okay, well, we got to move on to our final game here. Calgary, Ottawa, another overtime thriller. Um, Dustin Crum, Nate Bahar, and the likes do it yet again. Uh, Mike, are the Ottawa Red Blacks the most exciting team in the CFL right now? They're certainly appointment television viewing for me. Uh, also, if you want this stat, Ryan, the Red Blacks are the first team in modern CFL history to win back-to-back overtime games. 
Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. I can't believe they did it again. Like the, like, is this just going to be the new thing every time? And, and I know, like, I feel like Calgary and Ottawa are two teams that always have these really weird games uh, between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it happens once again here. I mean, you, you had six or seven lead changes in it. Yep. You had Mark and Michelle, a 93 yard touchdown uh, strike in this one. Um yeah, crazy game and full credit to the young kid at quarterback in from, you know, he looked good again, 60 something rushing yards, 250 passing yards. Kind of I know 60 is still high for rushing yards, but kind of nice to see him start balancing it out a little bit, get better in his passing game as well. I uh, looked a lot more comfortable and accurate in that one there. Uh it's exciting. That's that's my big takeaway. The Red Blacks are exciting. It's the they're putting on a show for their fans. They got two home wins in wet row. Now they go into to Calgary and win that one there. Uh and I believe that actually puts them currently at uh second in the division in the East. So, you know, this is a team that those three spots are kind of wide open and and they're about to get some help back soon with guys like Shaq Evans. Uh, potentially coming back soon. Von Santos Knox potentially coming back soon. Uh, I'm high on the Red Blacks right now. Yep. And the other thing, too, if I could just for a minute, uh, Ryan, uh, there was another guy that I was very happy with for Chowdhury. And he's a young guy. He was jury number 14. His name is Clark Barnes. Uh, he had a couple Wait. big plays there, Ryan. To extend drives, and unfortunately, it was for not for Calgary. Yeah, and, and you know, Clark Barnes looked good. They've got a couple of young receivers there in, in Calgary. I thought he looked really good in this game, and he's growing week by week. Uh, over on and Mark and Michelle, the veteran, brought in. You know, I, I called it on the fa- I called it in the fantasy preview on this past week's main episode where I said, keep putting Michelle in your lineups, getting six targets a game. They're only going for, you know, five, six yards, so it's not getting you a ton. But one of these days, those targets are going to go for bigger numbers. And sure enough, you know, big touchdown for him. They go to him in the end zone on like a 20-something yard pass again as well. Uh, And that kind of leads to the topic of uh, good bounce-back game for Jake Mayer here. I know they got the loss, but 450 yards passing isn't too bad, is it? For, for Jake Mayer, 450. Yeah, uh, yeah, that might be the highest passing total anybody's put up all season. Yeah, it's it's right up there for sure. I know Zat had close to 401 game. I think it might have been the opening game. But uh, for sure, it's, it's the highest uh, to my recollection that I can see. Uh, the other thing is, it's interesting now. It's it's Calgary two and four in a West Division where you know some say they may have been lucky to win last week. Otherwise, you know they're they're sort of one and five. Um, you know, if it's not for some heroics in, in Saskatchewan, there. What do you see being the Nets part of the process for Calgary now at two and four? Well, I don't know, because I, I think Dave Dickinson said he wasn't too happy with how things have gone, and he said changes would come if, if they keep struggling. But I, I it's been so long since we've had to deal with Calgary making changes or needing to make changes that I don't know really what that entails for them. 
And I think, honestly, part of it for me is just staying the course. You know, your young receivers are going to get more comfortable in there. Mayer, I think, you know, slowly but surely each game gotten a little more back to what we expected him to be coming into this year uh, as well. You know, I thought uh, he looked pretty darn good this week. Uh, Diedrich Mills was shut down by the Red Blacks, best run defense in the CFL, but uh, any other week, you know, he could be a focal point of that defense. And I think they've got some good players on defense and a bit of a boost coming in with Jagarrett Davis there. So uh, I don't think that like, I don't see too many concerns for Calgary. I know it's just a couple mistakes. I mean, you can you can talk about them going back to one and five or whatever, but couldn't you go the other way around and say, uh, right, they right. lost overtime twice, right? So could they be four and two? Um, right. So I think that the team that is going to uh, correct itself as the season goes along here. Uh, especially with, uh, you know, the quarterback injuries and and seemingly Jake Mayer and uh, Jake Mayer, sorry, and now Zach Polaros and Chad Kelly now being the only starters not to miss any games so far. So not on wood, uh, of course. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, and this is a team that uh, that normally comes on strong later in the season. I think we've seen that the past couple of years as well, mostly because their rosters are just purged every single offseason by all the other teams and that they need some time to build the chemistry. Uh, so so sum up this game for me uh, as we got to wrap things up here, Mike. Uh, Ottawa, exciting. I'm really excited to see where they go from here and how they continue to follow this up and how Dustin Crum continues to grow. Uh, you know, it's kind of crazy to think that you go into your fourth starting quarterback of the season and it may be the biggest blessing in uh, disguise for your year. Um, and on the other side of things, you know, Calgary, yeah, tough loss in overtime here. A couple of mistakes led to that, but I think it's a team that's going to be fine in the long run. Uh, final wrap-up thoughts for you here, Mike, before I uh, call it a show? Yeah, the one thing that was nice to see is uh, the one thing that was nice to see is Dustin Crumb not necessarily relying on his legs in this one. I, I saw a little more trust with that arm, which was good to see because we've seen a lot of quarterbacks with their legs think that they could run, kind of run out of their problems. Well, now, if you're, if you're going to stop the run now now you gotta kind of respect that dustin from arms so he might be dare i say it this well this might not be a revelation but i would say he thought it was started till further notice i would also suggest i would also suggest to you uh, along with maybe a receiver that they played this week in uh trey Odom's dudes but it might be time to give Dustin Crumb some Rookie of the Year consideration. I'll go and I'll go one further. Put Dustin Crumb in the Hall of Fame, a la Nathan Rourke. Uh, he's my he's my go-to guy now for this year. All right, Mike, we got to wrap things yep. up here. Uh, thanks for joining me, Mike. Uh, I like co-hosting this with you again. Uh, brings me back to the old times uh, of this podcast. Again, nine-year anniversary. So happy anniversary to you once again. Thanks, everybody, who joined us live for the comments and questions we got in the chat. Again, we'll try to balance out uh, the time we spend on the games a little bit more going forward. It's hard to gauge as well when it's, it's the length of my commute. I actually took a bit of a detour just so that we could get through uh, all of them here. 
Um, so we'll try to work on that as we go forward. But thanks for tuning in. If you're listening in the audio feed afterwards and want to join us live next time around, uh, check out the Discord community. It's free. It's fun. We've got a lot of CFL chatter going on in there. Uh, the link is in the episode description for those listening in the uh, the podcast feeds. And make sure you tune in Wednesday night, 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. We'll preview the uh, week eight in the CFL uh, and the upcoming matchups, uh, fantasy uh, picks, uh, storylines, and betting odds and all of that fun stuff there as well. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for joining me, Mike. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. <laughs>